Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special interview episode of the Hapless Heroes podcast, uh, the first of its kind, in fact. We are joined today by Connor Self, who is one of the project leads of uh, what has become, some, what, I'm going to just say, one of our favorite homebrew source books, that is the Spelljammers Cookbook, which is available on the DMs Guild for you to check out. Um, Connor, hello. Thank you for joining us. Hey, th thanks for having me, Francesco. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, and then with me is my, my co-host, my co-creator of the show, Dave. Say hello, Dave. Hey, everybody. Uh, so, Connor, before we get started with the actual interview here, uh, would you mind just giving a, maybe a brief introduction of yourself for the members of our audience who may not be familiar with who you are or some of the work that you do? Well, uh, hello, audience. Uh, thanks for taking the time out to listen today. Uh, my name is Connor Self. I publish under uh, my full name, Jonathan Connor Self. Uh, my Pronouns are he, him, uh, and I am a therapist and a gaming creative. Um, I have done an awful lot of work in this gaming sphere, uh, spans back over a decade. Um, so uh, besides that, that awesome work I have where I use games uh, to teach kids uh, social skills and, 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 and help uh, bring families together, uh, by night I run a, uh, I work with a ton of conventions, have authored a, a number of products. Um, I helped found D8 Summit Charities, we're a 501c3. Uh, we run charity events to raise money for quality local causes. We've done that for quite some time. Um, and uh, I, sp uh, I give uh, expert interviews and speak on panels at conventions all over the country. Uh, I'm off to one next week, Big Bad Con in uh, San Francisco, California. I, That's I awesome. It's my first time. Uh, we're so we're obviously very honored that you've taken the time to join us. You know, within this busy schedule of yours, uh, you know, it means a lot to us. You know, we really just have, I, it's it's actually surprising to me how much of your work I've consumed without knowing it was you until you know going through the spell James Cooper. Just because of all the stuff I've seen through the DM Guild and through um, Matt Coville's uh, the MCDM, MCDM, right? Is that, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 so it's just it's 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 again, it's an honor to have you. So uh, before we get into talking about the cookbook itself, which is the actually, you know, what we're going to center this interview around, I uh, just have a few maybe introductory questions, uh, because, you know, you had filled out a questionnaire prior to joining us on the show and got to know a little bit about your background, um, just as a, you know, like, like how, like what, you, you know, where you've been in the TTRPG sphere and in and, and, and general. So like, first of all, your writing credits uh, for D&D &D specifically uh, span much further than just this book, which we talked about, right? Um, I, I think you had, I think I read somewhere you had, you, it's something over like 20 products for Wizards of the Coast and MCDM combined. Like that's, that's, that's a lot of writing. Um, so among like everything that you've worked on, what would you say maybe are your personal favorites or highlights among them? Well, uh, you are sitting on, um, on a product that I really, really love, uh, Spelljammer's Cookbook. Um, was the dad joke uh, gone horribly awry? Like you make you make you make one dad joke and suddenly it consumes your life for the better part of a year. That's pretty much what Spelljammers was. Uh, but the the team the team was incredible, uh, and there was such positive energy and and there were so many great ideas that came out of it. Um, I, I I have to say I'm a, I am a big fan of the charity work that we've done. We've raised tens of thousands of dollars for homeless shelters, food banks, mental health, uh, uh, suicide prevention, um, 
uh, minority support, historical museums. Like we've done a lot of cool stuff with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's one of my favorite things in gaming, even though you're like, well, you didn't actually run a game. No, no, but I, I helped I, I helped thousands of people enjoy them. Uh, let's see what else. Um, some of my some of my work, I really did enjoy the work I did for MCDM. Uh, James Intercaso uh, really took the time to 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 deep dive with me into into monster design, and I, I got to, a lot to play around a lot with the fiddly uh, bits of of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I, I I'd have to say uh, that that a lot of these experiences, um, it's really hard to pick a few. Because uh, each one is so like personally meaningful, and sure. and I, I think that's true for a lot of us in the design space. Uh, mm -hmm. We we pick projects and do things as as uh, as uh, you both have yourself that that give our lives meaning. It's it's I think it's why a lot of people come to the table and share this hobby in general. Um, it's a it's a way to to add to add value to our lives, and it's no different on this side of the keyboard, you know, putting the words on paper. It's not, it's not as different as it seems from, you know, taking those words on the paper and turning them into a shared experience with your friends. I I completely agree. Right. I mean, what we do this podcast, not for like a job or anything, you know, we all have day jobs and, you know, lives outside of this, but this is like a hobby that like means something to us, right? Like we, we do this for ourselves and we also, you know, to, to also do it for our audience who, you know, provide feedback and just really enjoy and just feel like, you know, they're sitting at the table with us. And, you know, I feel like that's the beautiful thing about this game is that it's, 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 it's such a great way to like kind of bring different people together to just like have a shared like experience. Uh, love that. Uh, so you also mentioned since we're talking about D and D and that's what brings us all together, right? You've been playing since 1991. Uh, which I don't mean to date anyone here. I'm not saying I'm not saying that. I just I think Dave also started. I, I'm right that here. Time. Stop. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I feel like this. I feel like you may have already answered this question, but I'm not sure if you wanted to expand on it. On it, but like you know, the other question we had was, I guess, like, what would you say is your favorite part of this amazing game of Dungeons and Dragons that's kept you playing, you know, or you know, involved in it for so long? Um. Okay, so I was reflecting just just this last weekend. Um, I I had a charity event that I ran with folks, and I was we we're sitting around and we were just talking about the game in general. And I think I think at the heart of the game um, is the relationships you make with people around the table at the same time. Um, I uh, it's. I I don't I don't want to sound cheesy or, or cliche, uh, but we're, as we're talking about, we all just kind of agreed. It's like, yeah, really, the game is an excuse. Like it's a it's an excuse just to get around, uh, BS with friends, or make new friends, create a bigger community. Like I often see it like a convention setting um, where you're meeting new players, you're expanding your network of friends. Um, it's it's really just a chance to connect uh, with other people. Uh, it, it, and, and that's what sets an experience like this apart from video games. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3, awesome, awesome. Yeah, incredible, game. masterpiece. Yeah, it's, it's, it's beautifully done, but it doesn't connect you with other people the same way. 
not in the same way. We, we, I mean, we, we, we did attempt a live stream uh, where a few of us got together to try to play through it, but it's just, it's such a different experience because, you know, you, you are a lot more on the rails and there's just less of that, like that opportunity to really like kind of sink your teeth into whatever character you are and, you know, just goof off and goof around with your friends. Cause like, you know, there's, the objectives are much more clear. They, they're less malleable than like they would be at a, at a table where it's just, you're, you're just crafting stories as a group. That, that sounds like it's a very D&D thing because it's a D&D really is just sitting around a table with your friends telling a story. The table's optional. And as long as you're telling a story with people, you will become friends with them after after a certain amount I mean, of yeah. time. Like, like Dave and I became inevitable. best friends through this game. <laughs> you know, he sat down at like the first the first time I was ever as my first time ever DMing. I was like, a, you know, a friend of the whole game store. Met Dave there, found out he was the older brother to somebody I went to high school with who I was close with, right? And we started, like, you know, writing a story together after that campaign sort of fell apart. And we've been best friends now for many years yeah. because just, and it was same with everybody who's like part of this table. I mean, I feel like you hear so many other like D and D podcasts and also just people groups say that like, you know, they've, that their friendships were forged, you know, through these, like, because like where else are you going to be able to get a bunch of adults together to write, to meet at a scheduled regular time. Right. And spend like three to five hours together. Right. You're going to get to know each other. You're going to, you're going to know, you're going to learn a lot of things about each other, both through the ways that you play the game and how you interact outside of it as well. It's, it's beautiful. Um, Okay. Wow. It's a great answer. Uh, I really have no good segue to the next question, but, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about how we can kind of make this game however we want. You know, you're no stranger to homebrew. You've written plenty of material for it. So I guess, could you speak to your perspective on like what role like homebrew rules and supplements kind of play within tabletop RPGs? Like not even just D&D, right? Because like this stuff is available for any, any systems you may find out there. Uh, so when you're when you're looking at um, at like products to to throw into your existing campaign, maybe the the campaign that uh, that uh, you use, you know the 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 key source books. We we all know we all know those printed hardbound books. They sit on the shelf like they are behind me right now in my video. Um, we um, you're looking for things that are going to add to your game. Like what are the dynamic elements that are there? Because because, you know, um, I'm trying to think of how to describe it. Um, what you have from the core books is a very generic version of the game that's created to, to cater to everybody. It is the bland restaurant food that you get that most people find generally agreeable. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, it's, it, it, it crosses across everything. But, you know, sometimes you want to try something different. Sometimes you want something with a little bit more spice or sometimes you want something a, a, a little bit different. So homebrew can really get at that uh, because because behind every homebrew, uh, behind every third party uh, piece is a team of creatives who are like, this is what would add value in our perspective to games, to, to this game. Like, you know, this is. This is my idea of what would add celery, onion, and pepper to. Yes, ex yes. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I had to go immediately to the Holy Trinity. I'm sorry, <laughs> but, but like, this is what would add the, that flavor to a game, and it would make uh, me enjoy it. Um, and so now you've got people out there, other creatives, who are adding those things to the games that they want to see. Um, for me, that's incredibly important. Uh, I want in my games, 
incredibly flavorful uh, characters, uh, very believable NPCs with with very full sets of motivations and personalities. Um, and so my products are tailored to deliver that. Even in official products that I've written uh, uh, for Wizards of the Coast, when uh, when I when I wrote, for example, um, uh, Terran Ten Towns, uh, which was the season eight epic uh, for their Adventurers League program, the main big bad. If if players wanted to dig into that, you could you could find an incredibly relatable reason why this. Uh, why this intelligent uh, winter wolf uh, this is is doing what she's doing that that everything is starving and people focus very heavily in rhyme of the frost maiden on the fact that the towns are starving but they don't really stop and think that other things in the wild all, all these other uh, creatures that coexist in the, in this ecosystem they're also starving and and when you're a mother and you have a den of pups at home and they're starving, you're going to do what you feel you need to do to feed them. Um, and so at the at base level, oh yeah, this is an intelligent uh, 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 beastie that is motivating a bunch of animals to attack our town, but she's doing it from a position of, of, of motherhood. Um, and I want villains that are relatable um, uh, because really, I, I take the perspective that I'm, I guess maybe I'm, I'm one of those folks that say uh, both people that we would consider good and evil are relatable. They're still people. Uh, they've got motivations that any of us can relate to. And sometimes, uh, and sometimes maybe any of us are one or two steps away from being the villain in somebody else's uh, story arc ourselves. I mean, it's very true. And I think that that's, that speaks to probably one of the core, like the tenets of that, like, you know, I try to, I know I, no, I, no, I don't, I don't successfully make, do this with every, you know, big bad that we craft, but like, you know, for our, our ultimate story arc, right. For like, you know, what I ended the campaign on, like, right. I, I had this villain that I had been planning to use for, I mean, again, you had mentioned, right. Seven years we had been writing, you know, and working our way up to this end. And, you know, when to finally be able to reveal that, to kind of show the motivations behind that character, to, to kind of show you two versions of them, like who they were after they became the villain and then who they were before, just the person, you know, because it just, you know, and you hear from the audience when people are saying like, man, like I really like that, like that hit, like this person hits a little too close to home because like I see a lot of myself in them or this and that, but that's what makes a compelling villain, right? Because like, you know, you can have your 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 big capital B big bads, you know, hell bent on just destruction for the sake of chaos and destruction. But there's nothing. It just feels you feel very distant from that kind of evil. Right. It's just it's it's very blah. It's very like there's there's just there's no further motivation besides just destruction. But like when you add these these layers like that human element, because like, you know, we are all humans consuming these stories and. You know, like we, 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 we draw upon analogs within our lives to inspire us to tell these stories, to create motivations for these characters. I think that's that's like that's probably one of the core tenets of like writing good villains. So I love I love to hear that. That makes me so happy. Um, cool. Yeah. And I, I completely agree. Right. I think homebrew is is one of those things because like D&D &D can be very um 
like, I, I think that other way to put it, right, like, you know, is it's like, it's almost like the blank canvas, right? Fifth edition was almost sort of built to be this very adaptable game system and very approachable so that you could play it vanilla and have a wonderful time, right? You could grab whatever books you want and use them in whatever combination and you can tell whatever compelling stories you want. But homebrew is where you get to just, you just get to add all the bells and whistles. It's just, it's just your, the imagination at work condensed somewhere that's easy to reference and is hopefully not broken. And if it is, whatever, we'll fix it or we'll adapt things, you know, on the fly. Cause that's, that's part of the game okay. too. It's just that's the DM's yeah. job. That's the DM's job. Exactly. Um, all right. So let's, let's, let's talk about this particular piece of homebrew then, because it's, it's very, very, like, I just, from the day that I picked it up and like read through it, I just like, I fell in love with this, this cookbook because like of all the different sections, the way that it was put together, because, you know, let's just start by saying, what is the Spelljammers cookbook and what inspired you to create it? You, You had mentioned something about a dad joke and I'm curious about this now. Okay. So uh, yeah, so it was a, a dad joke. Um, I, when I when I became aware that uh, we were going to get a Spelljammer setting, uh, I made a joke about jam. Like, what do Spelljammers put on their toast? It was just something stupid. And my friends laughed and some of them groaned. And, 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 we're, and we're just talking about, and I'm like, no, like, really? Like, what if we did a cookbook? Like, like an actual cookbook with like preserves and stuff, but also like some character stuff, but really a cookbook. And my friends are like, that is either inspired or stupid or both. Like, and then a couple of people are like, let's do that. Let's, let's really make a go of creating a cookbook with very, very playable, with very, very playable uh, character options. And so you could cook up your character or you could cook up some food or both. And, uh, and so that's sort of how the Spelljammers cookbook was born. We we took a design philosophy of uh, going against the grain and getting as many cooks to ruin the soup as possible. Uh, and so we cast a really wide net and we're like, we want as many diverse ideas as we could possibly get uh, with just fun ways to re-envision the core Dungeons & Dragons classes in a in a space setting and then we got to talk you okay well like are we talking like like uh space washbuckling like flash gordon or we talking about like a little bit crunchier uh uh, science fiction like star trek and i'm like let's do both and so (laughs) so i'm not even joking If, if you go through the book there are a minimum of two subclasses for each class and one is crunchy and the other is swashbuckling so I noticed that, and that's something that really resonated with us because we wanted, like, in the custom setting that we were creating, we wanted something that felt a little bit more crunchy sci-fi and less swashbuckling in space, but with still some of those fantastical magical elements, just a little bit more futuristic than the traditional Spelljammer setting. And so I saw this and I was like, this is, this is like top tier, like silliness, like really leaning into those concepts. And I think that a lot of the character options that our, our players chose kind of f- fly through that range of both the the fantastical and the crunchy. It's just, it's so cool. So you mentioned that you, you worked with quite a lot of people, right, to, to put this together. Um, so can you tell us maybe a little bit more about some, some of the, you know, some of those folks and like, what your creative, like a collaborative process was like in putting all of this together? Because, you know, I, I can imagine with so many cooks in the kitchen, 
you know, it's probably hard to kind of collate all that information into something that's like digestible, right? Well, it it was a um, it was a pretty uh, gargantuan undertaking. Pardon the pun. We we really wanted to um, to include as many people as possible uh, because we really wanted to give a sense of whimsy, and whimsy means kind of just floating around and giving a lot of different people a say. So uh, I immediately reached out uh, to my friend Sean. Uh, Sean Banerjee is a lead at the Word Refinery. It's an organization that I've worked with in the past. I'm like, Sean, do you have people that you think if we, we could cast like a really wide net and just get a bunch of different uh, people to to uh, to write for this? And he's like, sure. So uh, so Sean stepped on as the project manager um, and I and I and I st- I stuck toward the project lead and providing a lot of the creative direction. Whereas he did a lot of the uh, the the nuts and bolts work, uh, we brought on uh, some really talented people. Elizabeth Banerjee uh, took on uh, the role of lead editor. Uh, we brought in Catherine uh, uh, Barson. Uh, she is the gluttonous geek on Twitter, and she does inspired recipes from all different sorts of fandoms. Uh, and uh, and so she knocked out some custom recipes and photography. Uh, we brought in Matthew Matthew Sargent. He's a, an artist um, uh, in the Chicagoland area who is really talented at, at that sort of comic book feel. And and that really uh, that really drove home the feel we were trying to get overall with the book. We wanted something that was a little bit action oriented in in the pictures. And so we brought him in. He did an iconic for every single subclass. Um, that's that's a lot of art that he put together for that. I was going to say this thing is packed with art. It, it, yeah, <laughs> that, that, it was absolutely that was really cool. We had um, uh, Ian Gop- oh, Gopal Gould. He came on as graphic designer uh, and just sort of oversaw the um, the overlay. And then we just brought on some incredible people. Um, all the way around uh, to help design these classes with the caveat, like, just do whatever you want. I mean, I, I am not even joking. It really was create whatever you want. And they're like, well, Connor, like, what do you think about this? I'm like, and my answer was pretty much, that's cool. Yeah. Like or, you just, yes. And <laughs> yes, yes, do it. maybe this, add this, or yeah, this is great. And what do you think about this? And but it really wrote itself at that point because people are like, I've got this great idea for a swashbuckler version of, of a barbarian. And I really want to, I really want to make this happen. And we're like, okay, you own that now, uh, write it up and send it off. And mm-hmm. so that's how, like, that's how this was done. Everybody picked the subclasses they wanted to write. Uh, everybody delivered pitches. We, um, we lifted each other up. That chat was so positive. And so that's how we end up with just some of the best designers that I've ever had a chance to work with. Um, I, I, w- I was looking down the list again and, and just floored. Uh, uh, Jay Anderson, uh, Arthur Guilford, Ben Heisler, uh, who has gone on to write uh, G.I. Joe now, uh, the G.I. Joe product line. Um, Joel Klein, uh, Jessica Markham, the angry nerd girl, uh, Gwendolyn Marshall, who created Races and Ancestry, she uh, she wrote for this. Uh, Adra Magia, who is now the lead for the Caboa product that you might have heard of. That's his that's his baby. 
uh, Ian Pace, uh, Todd Stashwick, uh, Captain No. Um, I know. I was I was so surprised <laughs> to see his name in the credits. I was like, "Holy crap!" Like, it's yeah. just this is this is like a who's just a, such a who's who of like all over the the spectrum of of creatives, right? Yeah. It's so fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Shu uh, Shu Ching Tan is an any winner. Um, Marcelo de Velasquez is an old time friend of mine who is uh, a celebrated scholar now for Big Bad Con. Like there there are just some some incredible people that were involved in this project and it came together beautifully like it turned out five times better than i ever imagined it could be based on just a really bad joke uh that just took a life of its own and those those are the kind of projects that really um that really work the kind of ideas that you're looking at is this is either going to get an a or it's going to get an f and it is nowhere in between <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like and, and it sounds it's, it's some of those sessions sound oddly like how we approached the writing process for this 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 campaign we're about to enter into now, our second campaign, where it was like we would just throw a lot of ideas out there. We'd have like group sessions where we'd just get together after we finished the last campaign and we're just like, let's just start talking about setting. Let's start just talk about some lore things like whatever you got, just shout it out and let's just start like, you know, writing these things down. And someone would have an idea and be like, hey, like, you know, like, like, hey, yeah, do you have something for this already? I was like, nope, it's yours. Like, go ahead. Like, you know, it's it's like, let's, let's see what you got. You know, like we had a player write an entire homeworld for himself and like how that all works. And I'm like, yeah, please. Like, that's like if you want to write the lore, that is it's all yours now and it's canon forever. Right. Like it's it's just so uh, it's that's so beautiful. Um, so I guess. From so from from those idea sessions, then like from like all of the work that everyone was kind of like putting in, all the ideas that were flying around, how did you take all those seeds for what is now the final project and like essentially get them into something that could be published, right? And I guess it, to that degree, right? Is there any advice that you could share for any aspiring authors or writers or you know homebrew creatives in our audience that may want to be getting into the same kind of thing? Okay. Um my best advice to any creative is don't create by yourself. Uh, cre uh, creation is additive. Uh, and, and, you know, if two people create something together, you're getting value added because those two ideas, they sort of mingle with each other and you end up with, uh, you know, an entirely better source of work than you would have had if, each of you had contributed individually. There's there's something to be said for you know the the power of collaboration, and so bringing people on, uh, perhaps people who are experts or very skilled at different areas, is going to make your overall product better. Uh, one of the things that was very important for us uh, with this product, besides that it be evocative, uh, would be that if a dungeon master were to drop this into the, into their campaign that it would feel, for lack of a better word, systems-wise, balanced and understandable. Uh, and 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 there's a there's a lot of product out there uh, that is very imaginative and creative, but uh, there's not that understanding of if I drop this into a game, is this going to be a better option than somebody else might pick? Is it going to um, is it going to be difficult for me to understand? Is it going to put a lot of additional work on me as a dungeon master? Um, does it take away agency from the player? Um, you know, Wild Magic Sorcerer, I'm looking at you. Uh, like, we 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 want to create um, we want to create something that 
if you said, okay, yeah, you can play something out of that book, the dungeon master doesn't have to like find ways to nerf it or or find ways to change their campaign. Um, while at the same time, just giving everybody something cool to do, um, some cool way to add to the story. Uh, so, so we did bring on people that were talented with that. Uh, we did bring on people who knew how to tailor the writing so that it would be easier to understand on the page. Our editing team was top notch. Uh, the the layout was incredibly important, um, and and that that it not only looked like a fun supplement. But also in places look like a cookbook um, because it is a cookbook. I mean, there's because some, it is. Yeah, there's <laughs> delicious recipes in there. Please try them. They're great. Um, uh, uh, the gluttonous geek. She really outdid herself. But we we needed to have a layout that conveyed fun, conveyed lightheartedness, conveyed the whimsy of a joke, while at the same time look like a cookbook. It there was a lot of things we were trying to weave together. It would not have been possible without just a big team of people who are contributing where they felt that they could the best. Yeah. I mean, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. It's just, just with, just with the amount of content that's in this, like just in a few pages, really, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, there's, 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 I can tell it's a lot of work went into this. Um, so part of, well, it seems like a large majority of that work aside from the actual recipes and the actual cookbook part of this cookbook, uh, you know, there's a ton of subclasses, right? There are, it looks like a two for every class that include, it includes artificer, which thank you for that. Thank you so much for including artificers in this because that's one of my favorite classes outside of warlock. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, were there, any, have you played any of these yourself? So besides the the writing, I, I'm also a professional dungeon master. I've I've ran a couple games of of Light of Xerixis um, over Start Playing. Um, and feel free to look me up there if you want. I I ran a couple campaigns there, and uh, I allowed the Spelljammers Cookbook, and and just saw the fun that people were having. Uh, one person really got into the huge ray gun. Uh, yes. The <laughs> had. He, he, he's, he's like, I'm going to play a gnome and the and the gun's going to be three times my character size and it's going to have all sorts of lights and whistles and make funny noises and I'm going to create them during the game. Like, I'm going to start describing random things and making weird noises with my mouth and y'all are just going to sort of deal with it. And we're like, no, we're not going to deal with it. This is awesome. Like, like yes. be that, be that <laughs> person. Um, that, level of, that level of commitment to a character is like... It's incredible. I mean, like my partner, Nicole, when I first met her, I met her uh, playing a one shot and she wanted to play a bard that played a recorder, which is not an instrument that's typically in the handbook. But I was like, yes. You, and she's like, I, I, I was like, you can play a recorder if you bring one and learn how to play a song on it. And she did. She learned how to play Despacito on the recorder and yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and that was that was the, that was our first time meeting in person um yeah it's just that's that that's that's the kind of stuff you get when you have like great character design right uh like for me for example like i mean i i, I didn't end up choosing it but i a part of me wishes i had chosen the circle of sanitation cleric because that is just the one of the one of the most brilliant uh and like silly subclasses i've seen in this compendium of just I I did the sanitation domain, which makes sense for a future setting, right? I mean, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. It, it sure is, and that was its own joke. Uh, 
but I mean, if, honestly, if you think about it, though, if you're out in space for extended periods of time, somebody like that would be really valuable. Um, you know, the the amount of disease that flew around and, you know, this is based on, you know, uh, swashbuckling wooden warships and, and vessels and, you know, in the oceans. Sanitation was the big killer. It wasn't it wasn't other ships. It wasn't pirates or privateers. It was disease. Um, and having somebody like that on your ship, it, that's that's kind of cool. And so when they pitched that idea, I laughed. Uh, obviously, the jokes about cleanliness next to godliness were made. But then we're like, but that is really cool. Like, run with it. Go make make that happen. And and they delivered H- having to get character art of somebody with a with like uh, <laughs> that. That was something else. We're like, well, how would you like that character illustrated? Um, can you put something like that would clean something in their hand? Yeah, I just need to, for the audience, I'm going to describe this for them, but I encourage you to pick up this supplement for yourselves and just like appreciate just the artwork alone in this. But like the sanitation domain cleric looks like the, it's like, it's almost like a morning star, but it's, it's a, it's a toilet brush and, yeah, and, like a, <laughs> and like a little spray bottle on their neck, like that, like, like the, just the details uh, in these pieces um, I, I really lend themselves to sort of, again, that whimsy you were speaking of, right. Of like, this is supposed to be whimsical and funny and, you know, where you get like, like you could get, you have your gritty characters, but you also have like your silly, like there's some yeah. silliness it, here and there's, it, it, it makes sense because every ship needs someone to clean out the head and you're going to run best when you find someone who's like, jokes on you. That's my kink. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> like someone like into it. Even for us, like, you know, we're planning on setting things a little bit further into the future than like the your traditional swashbuckling days. But there's still going to be elements of that. Right. Because like, we're still keeping with like the, a lot of the same spell jammer rules with the air envelopes and the way the space travel works. It's just that everything's going to look a little bit more futuristic. Right. Because I think that all of us have been dying. OK, as a star, all the stars fan myself. Right. Star Trek, Star Wars, Star whatever. Right. Like I. I've been dying to be able to play this game in a sci-fi setting, you know, because it's just there's so many more stories you can tell that are that that I just feel like a medieval fantasy setting can't really you can't really explore certain things like that in the same way. Um, so just to have like these these layers, though, to add on to it. So like, yeah, we can be telling the serious story, but we still got like, you know, circle of sanitation dude over here or your guy with a giant ray gun over there. And, you know, we get to balance the the actual like story content with also just the, the, the absurdity of it all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, and you're right. Like, so science fiction lends itself um, uh, to a number of stories that are really reflective. Like, you know, you, you project everything into the future or into, into a far off place or over a different time, but really the stories that you tell through sci-fi, the really good stories, they're about you. They're about your lived experience and where uh, and where you're at. Uh, and, you know, it, you you can uh, look at everybody from the uh, the greats such as Asimov or Heinlein uh, all the way to contemporaries. And, and they will all tell you that all of these stories, while they're set in wild and far off places, they're meant to be relatable to us and really to shine the spotlight on us. But, mm-hmm. you know, do it in a way that doesn't feel like the, it's getting in your eyes. Um, so you see that uh, you see that in novels, you see that in Star Wars, uh, Star Trek. Those stories are about us. They're not about people in a in a, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. They're about us now. Uh, we're just 
telling it through this allegory. Yeah, it's 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 honestly brilliant. That's why I just feel like, you know, we need we need more sci-fi stories out there. I I'm a huge I just like I've always loved sci-fi whether it's all the Star Wars things or like, you know, reading The Expanse and watching The Expanse, for example, is another big one that I was super into because that's like oh, proper like oh, that's good. that's humanity colonizing the solar system. Like that's that's just like, you know, a glimpse into what like a near future setting would be, you know, for humanity. And I find those stories to be incredibly fascinating with the way that just, you know, we as humans operate sometimes and how we could be both, you know, uh, incredibly wonderful to each other, also incredibly cruel, and like just exploring those stories and telling, you know, and, and those those difficult sometimes like concepts, but doing it through a lens where it's less like in your yeah, like you said in your eyes or in your face, where it's you know we can kind of mask it through these this 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 slight you know lens of fantasy. Also apply like Clark's third law, uh, which we talk about <laughs> a couple of times, which is you know was a sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And like, that's really what, you know, we want to embrace is that sort of feeling of magic and technology sort of being fused together is, is a, both a way to better lives, but also, you know, it's capable of other destructive elements as well, because magic is, is all, is so much of everything, right? Um, it's also, it's easier to use a future setting to tell a story about your fears for the future than using a past setting to tell a story about your <laughs> fears for true. the future. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're. You're completely right there. And well, so the Roddenberry rule. Uh, so Gene Roddenberry, uh, the creator of Star Trek, had a rule that uh, that he insisted upon. Uh, and it pretty much held all the way until we saw a little bit of it in, in Next Gen. You saw a lot more of, of the fall away from the Roddenberry rule in DS9. But his rule was when we're telling stories, we know we're telling allegories for the human experience. But when we point to the faults, to the faults in us, uh, we instead point to somebody that the people meet, that that our crew meets. We want we want to have a crew that's aspirational. So we have you know Kirk and and Spock and and Bones and Chekhov and Sulu. Georgia K, if you're listening, hey. Um, but but when we when we're when we're talking about our own foibles, uh, we are point we will say this alien group look at how look at look at how they handle things and the way that they handle things is the way we handle things right you know it points to the ridiculousness in us um so that so that it, it prevents people from becoming defensive they don't feel like it's necessarily pointed directly at us um yeah it's interesting yeah it's really you know uh, appreciate you sharing that um Wow, uh, that's going to segue kind of slightly, not at all, to the next question we have. But <laughs> um, you mentioned, you know, with the, with the stories that you were telling or kind of what the intention of this particular uh, cookbook was, like, you know, is jam, right? The joke was about jam um, yeah. and, yes. you know, and preserves and, you know, needing that those kinds of foodstuffs for long journeys, especially traveling in space. It just says people did when they were traveling long journeys on the ocean. So the gluttonous geek, you know, created a lot of these or crafted a lot of these recipes. Um, have you, first of all, have you tried any of these for yourself? Like have, 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 have these been brought to any of your game tables or have you made any of these for yourself? These have, these have been brought around. Um, so, uh, I missed, unfortunately, the big tasting uh, where a lot of these were brought in uh, because a lot of the team resides in the Atlanta area. Um, so uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to try the chutney, which makes me really sad because the chutney was where my heart was at. Um, 
the the flavors we approach the exact same way as we approach the subclasses like uh go go nuts catherine mix ingredients that you want to mix try something new and um and that is absolutely what she delivered she just she she went uh she went all out with it's just like okay i don't have any limits no no you know make some they're savory make some they're spicy make some they're sweet and have a good time and so uh that is indeed what she delivered um the uh the chutney was where I was at. I have been told repeatedly uh, that the uh, that the morn uh, the moon melon nectar is to die for. Yeah, that I mean, just to also uh, did was she was she also the one who took the photos of the food? Um, because let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> those are very inviting like and it looks like especially the moon melon nectar like it looks it literally looks like alien food but like it does look familiar it's just that it has that like it, it literally like just from the photo looks like it's like sci-fi you know yeah, it's like, yeah, like, she, it's like, it's totally, like little pink things yeah yeah she totally cooked it she totally photographed it um she is such a talented creative um and you know, by all means, you should absolutely try her recipes and you should support her. She 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 isn't limited just to Dungeons and Dragons. She's cre she's created recipes uh, based on all different sorts of properties. And and she yeah, they're, they're so good. Holy That's cow. That's the coolest thing. That's the coolest thing ever. Um, so I had a, I had another question. So it seems like we have a little bit of time. I, I you know, I, this is one of those things is like there's been a lot of talk about it recently, and I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't address it because we do talk about it also in our upcoming episode zero um, or our between two campaigns in one of these two episodes that we've recorded recently. But we also live in a bit of a future state now in our modern day reality. Right. So technology, like as far as like you know, AI and all these things have sort of come into the forefront of our existence as far as like, you know, being tools that are accessible now for the general public. Um, you know, since we're talking about all these fantastical elements, these sci-fi things, you know, I, I really I was actually kind of curious to get your opinion about or your thoughts on like what you feel maybe the place of technology and like AI like is within like, you know, even just fantasy tabletop gaming or like storytelling, right? Because there's a lot of controversy, right? That's that's surrounding these things. And, you know, I, I, and I you know, I, I acknowledge that these things are tools, but like, you know, we can't, it doesn't, it doesn't replace humans, right? Like, like the creative element still is within the human that is, you know, going forth to try to make something or using these as tools, right? Like these AI, these tools can't create stuff on their own. That's anything compelling or even that makes a lot of sense. But I'm curious about what your thoughts are, you know, regarding AI and those types of tools for, you know, writing or just, you know, using as aids within fantasy gaming or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it's a broad topic, I know, and it might be a bit of a, a loaded question, but yeah, I'm just curious what your thoughts are. The, this is something that's an ongoing discussion in just about every circle that I'm in. Uh, and I, and I hear a lot of perspectives in, in every direction. Uh there's a very active uh, community chat among the moderators of of the big D and D five E group um, that I am a that I'm a moderator on. And if you were to look at this product, uh, the things that are going to stick out with you the most are going to be the human generated elements. Uh, it's going to be the layout. 
it's going to be the character art. It's going to be those recipes. It's going to be the clever writing, um, the the uh, the the products that uh, that people have put together, and there is as of yet. There's there's nothing at this point that can compete uh, with with people. Now, and and since we're talking about since we're talking about sci-fi right now, in every form of sci-fi that isn't dystopian sci-fi, computers do not take away the work that's creative in humanity. When we when we talk about Star Trek, uh, we talk about the planet Earth and a post and a post scarcity society where people no longer need to work you know, in a factory to make a living and, and everybody's needs are provided for, the people spend their lives still in work, but their work tends to be more creative and passionate. Um, and so, you know, folks are less worried about the grind and more worried about, hey, I'm really driven to explore how far science can go, or I'm gonna run the Chateau and make some really, really bad wine, looking at you, Picard. <laughs> Uh, no, that, that 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 that's 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 a joke. It's an inside joke. You get it if you research uh, why ca- uh, Chateau Picard wines taste bad. Um, now they're delicious, but uh, but uh, yeah, they're, they're, look it up. It's there. That's a, um, that's a rabbit <laughs> hole. I'm going to be jumping down after hole. this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It is a total rabbit hole uh, that they joke about in some of the episodes of Star Trek. The but those creative pursuits uh, were never taken by machines. Um, those were all, those continue to be pushed forward by people. And so that's kind of where I am. We also have a a large number of people who are creative, who we know are generating better work than AI who need to eat. (laughs) Like they absolutely need to eat. And, uh, and so the creatives I'm telling you about that, that put this, every single one of those are people that need to eat. Um, the sales of this help them eat. This is this is this is how they feed themselves. So, you know, when we talk about AI, we, we look at the technology, but we fail to mention that, okay, but now what are we what are these folks gonna do that need to eat? Um so you're gonna get subpar product and and starve people. At the same time, uh I would be remiss if I didn't mention that for a lot of people who are trying to create early on, a barrier to entry would be that art piece. We've created a um, like a status quo in the gaming product community that says, we need to have a large product with a bunch of custom art. Oh, and you need to price it at $4.99 or less. Right. Like, it's not even possible. It's not even possible to do that and still ensure that people are fairly compensated for their time. Um, that's yeah. always been the biggest challenge I feel like I've, I've seen too is like, you know, cause like when I, when I think about for our show, even like, Hey, if we wanted to like, you know, generate some character art or like, you know, get some of these supplemental things that like, you know, maybe we ourselves aren't able to like kind of just churn out. Like I would, I wouldn't want to, we want to pay an artist, right. You know, so we would, you know, save up our money or people stuff that donations that are sent into us to ensure that, you know, whomever we're asking to do this is compensated because it's like, that's, that's time and effort. 
You know what I mean? And like even an AI cannot generate these types of things. And I, I feel there's a lot of, especially when it comes to AI generated art, I think that there is a lot more ethical concerns in my mind, at least when it comes to using that in any way. Like we were, I, I refuse to use AI art for anything that we create because I just feel like, you know, with the way that that stuff is sourced and like not necessarily knowing if it's pulling from, you know, I guess like a repositories or building its knowledge off of something that is completely, I guess, like open source or not, you know, attributed to a particular artist's work. Like, I just don't want to run the risk of, you know, infringing on like someone else's like literal, literal job, like, like livelihood, you know, um, I think that in the way that we've employed AI to help us write this campaign, it's mostly been like, Hey, I have all of this data I wrote. Can you please help me make this a table? You know what I mean? It's like it's 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 like menial tasks, stuff that would just like that just saves us the the gr the, the grind work of like organizing our thoughts. You know what I mean? But like the thoughts themselves are still original because like if you ask an AI to generate, they say like you ask an AI to generate like a solar system, right? It's going to give you the most generic output you could possibly imagine because there's no there's, there isn't that creative mind, there isn't that like those extra details that are good. You you have to feed it those details in order for that detail to come through in whatever the output is and so that requires like a creatively minded person and so like I, yeah I, I i'm with you in that it's like i just don't feel that these tools are intended to replace people like the people are still the driving force behind like why we create and like you know who and who we create for the one thing i noticed when we were doing this the ai writes crappy fluff but pretty decently consistent crunch <laughs> <laughs> i you know and you know, I'm not a Luddite when it comes to finding new ways to use technology. Um, right. And, and you know, on, on the flip side of it, uh, you can make a very, very compelling case for how that current, like, drive toward creating these bigger products at an incredibly low price point would absolutely price out new creatives or creatives that don't mm -hmm. have a space, like uh, a space currently built. And disproportionately, th those folks are minority. You know, uh, you know, our 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 community is still uh, it's still largely a um, you know a it's still largely a majority like a, a white often male community, um, and I don't want to tell other folks that they can't sit at the table. I don't want to put up artificial barriers. We just need to find a way to get everybody to the table still, which is absolutely where I want this hobby to go. But at the same time, not starve people who they're counting on this to, to make ends meet and support their families. And I wish I had an easy answer. I, I mean, I wish I'm like, and I have the answer yeah. right now. Yeah. It goes into the age old okay. question we haven't answered yet is how do we turn boys clubs into not boys clubs? Like the nerdy right. pursuits stem, uh, you know, you know, half of, you know, that the more physical half of industry. <laughs> Yeah. And yes, it's, it's one of these things where it's like, you know, like this is a game, especially, especially just in, if we just talk, especially just in the concept of the game that we all love and that we're here to talk about, right? Like this is, it's supposed to be accessible. It's supposed to allow anyone to create whomever they want and with whatever motivations and be able to kind of like see that out, right? To like live this, to live, you know, to, to, to be able to just engage creatively with, even if it's just like the way you tell stories or the way you build your character, you know, like there's, there's, there are no barriers or there should be no barriers to these types of things. And if, when it comes to creating, it's like pay your artists, folks, 
This is this is your official PSA from the Hapless Heroes podcast. Pay your freaking artists. Go pick up a copy of the Spelljammer cookbook because <laughs> I tell you what, we've we've certainly enjoyed it. It was well worth like, you know, I mean, you guys only have this up for like, I think it was like 15 bucks on like the DMs Guild, which is still, I would say, a steal yeah. for how much you're getting with this. Yeah. There's um, 80, 80 pages of content and we joke and say that's the fourth book in the in the slipcover uh, because yeah. the same size as the other three books inside the slipcovers. It's the fourth book and it's tailored toward character options of which the slipcover which is wonderful, doesn't have a ton of. So, th- so thank you for that. So this was, so I guess what I want to say then in closing, because like, you know, I, going off of this rant of paying your artists, I want to make sure that we just go right into speaking of paying our artists and supporting our artists, Connor, I would like, you know, I, I just wanted to ask you, I guess, if there's any other things that you're involved with, any other, I know you mentioned your charity. I know you mentioned a few things at the start during your introduction, but are there any other things that you're currently involved within that you'd like to give a shout out to, or any people you'd like to give a shout out to for the folks to follow or check out or any, you know, anything exciting on the horizon? Okay. So if we're talking about people to follow, uh, I would highly recommend if you go to the credits page of the Spelljammers cookbook, uh, any of the names listed, I'm I'm very confident they are great people that are worth a follow. Uh, they are um, they are uh, great creatives and just wonderful folks. Uh, they they all deserve that follow. Um, I would highly recommend certain organizations uh, that do a that do really good work. The Word Refinery uh, has uh, has come into its own as a, as an organization that helps give people a chance to create. It helps lower that barrier of entry that we were talking about for new creatives um, and, and gives them an opportunity to tell stories. And so, uh, you know, you uh, you see the Spelljammers cookbook, you're holding on to it. Uh, right now, uh, Kaboa is getting ready to go out. Uh, it was a highly uh, anticipated and, and well-received uh, Kickstarter. Um, you're going to see other other books in the space. I, I'm pitching a couple ideas similar to the Spelljammers cookbook uh, to get those into the hands of of dungeon masters and players. Give you some more options there. Um, I would recommend uh, certain uh, conventions out there that are really doing a lot of the heavy lifting as far as helping to create uh, spaces where some of these cool ideas can come out. Uh, and this product wouldn't exist without them. Uh, events such as, oh, I just mentioned Big Bad Con uh, is, is a wonderful event for that. Dragon Con is a wonderful event for getting creatives together. It's, it's pretty big, but you can get a, a lot of folks get together uh, for that one. Um, uh, Game Hole Con in Wisconsin. I'm, I'm obviously a big fan of D8 Summit, but I'm kind of biased. Uh, we're, a pretty, we're a pretty big uh, charity convention, uh, one of the larger ones. Um, but you know, get get to know get to know those those uh, those conventions out there that are they're just creating spaces for uh, for creatives to create and are putting great content on your table because a lot of those cool ideas that you're playing with now have their roots at events like those, um, mm-hmm. big or small, uh, local. I'm not going to knock any local con anywhere. Um, that's where I met a lot of the folks that uh, that contributed to this. That's incredible. Um, well. I just, you know, I wanted to personally thank you again for joining us and talking through some of these things. Cause like, you know, for, I mean, I know we, we really, we've talked about the cookbook a lot, but we talked about a lot of other, you know, concepts of just about, you know, what this game means to us and, you know, why we're doing this to begin with. And I just wanted to thank you for, you know, just being so 
uh, so open and it's just so such a wonderful human. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's really it's just really great to like you know see like how other creatives are 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 doing. You know, or just you know what what's happening in the wide world of like tabletop RPGs and and, and elsewhere, right? Like, I mean, I, I did a lot of research into like you know, a charity organization and whatnot prior to you coming on, and you know, I just I, I really admire a lot of what you've done as a creative, uh, Connor. So I just wanted to give you a personal sort of like just a, you know accolades from us here at Hapless Heroes. I think we all you know really admire you uh, quite a bit, and we're excited to use some of these things that you know you've worked on, you know, with all these wonderful people, because it's just, it's, it's, it's exciting for us to be able to sink our teeth into something like this and, and just kind of take it and run, you know? So, so thank you again. Well, I, I thank you. I, I really look forward to hearing some of the ways that, uh, that your players are going to use this to, to craft, uh, entertainment for your listeners. Um, I can, you know, when, when I was approached, and I explored your podcast. I be, I was I was immediately impressed um, at at the at the the stories you tell, uh, how compelling that they are, uh, how funny they are. Um, while at the same time, like it really did capture what it's like for so many of us at the table. Those those relationships. A seven year season one is is like mind blowing. When I was when I was describing uh, the podcast to Sean, and I'm like. You realize that this podcast has been going on for over seven years. This campaign—they—they they, they just finished a seven-year campaign. He's like, "Dude, like what?" I'm like, "Yeah, like seven whole years for one campaign." Like they are getting into this and telling the story, and there was more content than I could digest. Like there was so much more content than oh, I yeah. could digest. So I'm like, "How do I do this?" So I'm like listening to snippets. I'm I'm listening to your recap and your and your listener questions and. And I'm like, wow, this is this is really something. You, you've got something special, um, and I and I I hope your your listeners hear that. And I intend to tell people uh, to uh, to to listen to this podcast. I would um, also I'd also like to reward uh, your listeners. So um, I am happy to uh, pass along some some um, some discount codes for uh, for a couple free copies that you can give away to listeners as you wish. Oh. So um, this is something that uh, that I'm happy to do for you all. So keep that in mind and and don't delete my email. Reach out to me and uh, and I can I'm happy to share that with you. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure out how to do maybe a giveaway of sorts. And, you know, if anyone for, for those who are interested, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, and thank you for that. That's that's wonderful. I'm sure some I'm sure I'll, I'll, after folks listen to this episode, they're going to be probably eager to pick up a copy for themselves. So um, we'll you know, we'll, we'll we'll share more information as that as we kind of get all that stuff coordinated um, and get those codes out to you. Um, well, without further ado, then I think I'm just going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and outro the show. First of all, Connor, uh, like I said, thank you for joining us. Is there, where can the people find you on the internet if they wanted to follow you before I go into my whole spiel? Okay. Uh, if you would like to find me on the internet, there's a couple places you can do that. You can go to my website, which is the healer DM, uh, all one word, uh, dot card with two R's.com. Uh, from there, uh, you can find links to my email, links to products that I've created, uh, links to my professional dungeon mastering and the like. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, uh, where uh, I can, uh, you can often find me ranting about what I like about uh, popular media, especially sci-fi or gaming or um, my, my general passion toward, uh, toward equality and equity. 
Um, that is at uh, the Healer DM uh, on Twitter. Uh, so both of, both of those are are very um, are very accessible. My my DMs are open. I've never closed them. Uh, if you follow me, expect a mutual because I I feel the best conversations go both ways. Um, so I tend to mutual everybody, um, and hopefully I get a chance to hear from from some of uh, some of your listeners. Yeah. So folks, you know, you heard it here, you know, go find, find Connor, say hello, say some nice things about him. Tell him we sent you. Um, and, uh, yeah. So pretty, without... You like my food. That's pretty much what yeah. I'm looking for. Call me pretty. Say you <laughs> like my food. Well, Connor, you're pretty. We like your food. And without further ado, uh, that's going to be an end to the Hapless Heroes podcast. Um, we will see you next time for our episode zero. So stay tuned. In the meantime, if you'd like to find us on the internet, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Hapless Heroes. Uh, we also have a link tree. It's just link tree slash Hapless Heroes. Those have all the links that are going to point to all the places you can find us on the internet, including our Discord server, which I would encourage any of you listening to join our community and engage you know, with us in conversation. Across those social media platforms, we are, as Connor mentioned, going to be running a giveaway for some free download codes for the Spelljammers cookbook. So just keep, uh, keep your eyes open. We will be posting the instructions and you know how we're going to run the giveaway in uh, after this episode airs uh so you know, we hope we look forward to you know sharing this content with all of you otherwise we have a patreon also it's patreon.com slash hapless heroes that just has you know if we have some bonus content and some other things for you to listen to and enjoy uh, if you want to donate to us or support us in that way. But otherwise, um, we just can't wait to share all the different ways we're going to use you know, these homebrewed materials in our next campaign. And we will see you next time for our episode zero. So thank you again to Connor Self for joining us. Thank you to you, the audience, for tuning in. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye now.